Hi, this is Joe Lindsley, American in Kiev with our Land of the Free podcast, produced with Ukrainska Pravda and our team from UkrainianFreedomNews.com. And here I have my great friend Mikhailo Poporechnik uh, from the city of Nikopol. We call you Mayor Mike because you're very good at connecting people. You're not a mayor. You did run for mayor uh, in the city of Nikopol uh, before Russia's full-scale invasion. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. You were the kickboxing champion of Europe uh, in your career as a sportsman. And uh, now in the time of the full-scale invasion, uh, your city uh, gets hit day and night by the Russians. It's one of the hardest hit places. Uh, you are working on uh, diplomatic efforts to you know, travel through Europe and other places to, to build up support for Ukraine, uh, but also working to get supplies, not just to Nikopol, uh, but to soldiers at the front lines. And, you know, as we, here we are in the studios of Ukrainska Pravda, very posh, comfortable settings, uh, but we, uh, we run into each other throughout the, the wartime, and we've taken several wartime road trips, uh, you know, not always very comfortable because the car is packed with, uh, with, with every square inch of the, the, your car is packed with uh, material uh, to deliver uh, to people who need it. But, Mike, welcome to Land of the Free. This is the land of the free. Stories of life and liberty in a time of war. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe, for this uh, unique opportunity, for your invitation, and f- mostly for your amazing and very important work. So I always tell everyone, so you are a great ambassador of Ukraine. Thank you so much. Well, as you say in Ukrainian, Razom, all together for victory. And, you know, our main audience, uh, as we start this podcast, Land of the Free, is Americans who believe in freedom. Uh, they talk about freedom. They're, they're, they, want, uh, they, they want to hold on to this idea of freedom. They want to understand it better and to live it well. And especially the Americans who left California for Texas, and they're looking for freedom. Here, we see it every day. And, you know, your homeland, your, your hometown, Nikopol, in the Gre- it's a Greek name. It means city of victory. But that is the ancient heartland of the Kozak people. And you always describe them as simply the freedom people. Uh, what, what does it mean for you to be free? Freedom as Ukrainian. Freedom is our religion. <laughs> it's a religion. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, actually you're absolutely right. So uh, from uh, my region Nikopol which was uh, the capital of five Cossack sieges and well, a siege is a, a siege is uh, some special place where uh, our Cossacks, our warriors were lived. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually in my city Nikopol in 17th century the famous head Bogdan Khmelnytsky was elected like a, like a king of the Zaporizhia uh, siege and it's also pretty interesting you know symbol of uh, our region and generally for Ukraine so that's why um, uh, Nikopol you know matches and mix like a uh, Greek ancient and Cossack uh, times so that's why uh, we Nikopol citizens always try to fight also. We're going to talk about, uh, in this conversation, I mean, you you have experienced, I mean, you, you had, in the, in the days and weeks before the full-scale invasion, 
Russians were calling you, they were threatening you. And, and so through this conversation with you, we can show people at a micro level what Russian tactics were in the very early days of their attempt to take over Ukraine and how they were trying to take city by city and trying to, to, to bribe officials and, 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 and scare people. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But before that, um, you know, the, your, the city of Nikopol is, I mean, amazing history of the Kozaks, and, uh, but, but also it, it, it's interesting on many different levels. It's on the Dnipro River. It's a, it's a reservoir. And across the reservoir is Inohodar, uh, which is the uh, the largest uh, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. Uh, I remember the first time I went to Nikopol. I don't think you were there, uh, but you you set up the trip for us, and we had a, a delegation of American musicians, like folk musicians from Ohio. American chefs and uh, and volunteers from your group Solidarity and Evolution, and we had like, this little picnic on the banks of the uh, reservoir, and it's such a beautiful spot. Uh, we could see the Russian occupiers across, you know, several miles across across the water, and you could see that nuclear plant, uh, you know, which which it has. I mean so much of the world when they think of what's happening here that's one of the scariest things for them and in Nikopol you live right across from that reality uh how what has the war been like in Nikopol and you were just there I think five days ago yeah five days ago and you know coming back to your uh, trip to Nikopol you uh was one month before Russians started to shell to shell Nikopol so you was at the June month in 2022 so actually it was pretty you know calm time it was strange man because we're right we we could see yeah and we could see fires yeah you you, you could see them because it's from four from four until six kilometers across the river Mm. it was russian troops and uh it was really dangerous but i think it was your coming it was amazing amazing event and special occasion for all people who do volunteering for soldiers for local leaders because you came with your team with the musicians with the volunteers and you you showed you know great example how you can support us it was very important for people who are on the line you also can feel it in Kharkiv, in uh, Donbass region, cities where you visit regularly. And that's why if people see Americans like you who come support and help, it's uh, amazing vibe and an amazing feeling for locals. But coming back for to your question, yeah, probably I was maybe one person in all region who said in public that we have to prepare for a big war. Thanks for my American colleagues, partners and friends and from uh, British uh, and uh, European uh, different groups which told me you have to prepare because it will be full-scale invasion. And I tried, you know, to say, you know, like uh, uh, lightly uh, in public, in my social media that people, we have to be ready. Let's do, let's be more confident let's be uh, let's be uh, more um, uh, you know conscious because it's real dangerous russians uh, assembled more than 150000 troops in our borders and that's why uh, of course i did the humanitarian and different social activities from 2014 we i was, should, a, wait, I was should, a public person we should talk about this because yeah. you <clears throat> 
after the 2014 Revolution of Dignity, uh, you got into politics. So you, you're, you're a sportsman. You're, you're, your father is a sportsman yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, your father actually trained uh, Klitschko, the mayor of the few times, yeah, few times, yeah, when uh, yeah. Uh, like when he was because, young, yeah, because Vitali Klitschko, he's a former kickboxing world champion before he was in before the, before his boxing career. Uh-huh. So that's why, yeah, we're like a kickboxers. We always, uh, you know, uh, remember it. <laughs> that, that's how yeah. we started, and, yeah. and he was trained by yeah. your father yeah. uh, a little at the at the beginning, uh, and then Klitschko became you know world heavyweight champion and uh, and then mayor of, of Kiev. Um, you you came from the sportsman family, which I, I think was a common thing in Nikopol because, you know, in Soviet times. I mean, Nikopol it was it was a sort of it was a tough city in many ways, right? I mean, it, you know, there, were, <laughs> there was a lot of industry, some gangsters, absolutely, uh, and 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 there was it was a tough city, and and then at, but from the revolution of dignity, when Ukrainians reclaimed uh, their country and their government, uh, you uh, you were part of this generation saying we need to change things, and so you you ran for mayor. Of Nikopol, what, and, and, I, 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 and I want to put this in the context yeah, of like yeah, fighting yeah. corruption, yeah. Because, because that's something you've been working on. Yeah, you know, I started to do my social and political activities in 2014 because uh, I was, you know, part of Revolution of Dignity. I've been in Maidan, and uh, of course, uh, I was involved and local and regional level in a different activities. So that's why I established my uh, NGO, Solidarity and Devolution, and uh, we started to do different good things. And one of them was a vector like uh, fighting with against corruption. And we became regional partner of Transparency International. So that's why not so many organizations can be like, you know, regional partner. And of course, local clans and local groups like uh, gangsters <laughs> or local oligarchs, they were mad, they were angry because we started to say in public different things they, they wanted to hide. And uh, yes, in 2020, I ran for mayor. And because of the biggest oligarch group stopped me. And uh, for example, um, yeah, thousands of people voted for me, not for political party, not for money, for etc. They voted because we made more than eight years different good things for our city and for all region. And uh, you mean your organization, my organization, my team is absolutely sort of cleaning up the city, making the parks absolutely anti corruption, Mm -hmm. uh, supporting veterans, supporting uh, elder people, uh, youth policy, uh, different infrastructure uh, projects. Actually, from 2017 until 2020, so three years before local elections, I made huge diplomatic uh, work. So I tried to attract different investments to my region. I had uh, negotiation with uh, uh, Arab, uh, Arabic countries, European uh, officials, etc. And that's why uh, local corruptioners were angry because they wanted, you know, to have some frame and all benefits and all best uh, conditions just only for their groups. But it doesn't matter. So despite on the result of the elections, uh, I decided, okay, no problem. I represent thousands of Nikopol people, more than 5,000, and uh, I will go on. 
so I will continue to do everything what I can. And of course, actually, it was also funny because six months before um, uh, elections, local election 2020, I was first Nikopol citizen who was invited by Congress of United States to Washington, D.C. and to Arkansas, Little Rock. Uh, I told you, I think you remember it. It was amazing trip. You know, uh, I felt like, uh, you know, first democracy of the world, how it works. And it was pretty funny. Uh, when I came back at uh, the February of 2020, actually two weeks before pandemic, <laughs> all pro-Russian activists, all pro-Russian politicians, media, blamed me everywhere that I became a State Department or CIA agent. Really? Yes, Not it, it was huge pressure everywhere because Nikopol is like, you know, uh, pro-Russian political party opposition, which is now is forbidden. Uh, they had probably second place in city council of Nikopol. And most of the members of the, their political party, they are, it's not a secret, they're like uh, agents of Russia. And it was huge, uh, you know, pressure to me, to my uh, cl uh, closer friends, colleagues, and it was a uh, big challenge. Were you trained by the CIA? <laughs> you know, actually, it was other funny stories. We can discuss it more and more. So one year ago, I was invited to Warsaw Security Forum, which is one of the biggest after Munich uh, security conference in Poland. Yeah, in Poland. yeah and it was, um, it were a lot of generals, top uh, politicians. And I met former head of CIA, General Petraeus, and I told him this uh, story that uh, <laughs> after my uh, uh, coming to uh, United States to Ukraine, all the pro-Russian uh, people started to attack me, uh, and I said, you know, do it to Russian propaganda. I'm your uh, agent, <laughs> and he was smiling and told, aren't you? <laughs> no, I, I'm an agent of Ukraine. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah. but and this is very because at the the micro level of your city of Nikopol. You had these pro-Russian political parties, pro-Russian media. Right now, in some of the American rhetoric, we hear, oh, you know, Ukraine, and they say Zelensky has banned the pro-Russian parties. And uh, what can you describe what the Russian influence was in your city and what you were fighting? What was this Russian influence in Nikopol? It, it was so big because uh, a lot of local politicians and, as I said, uh, different activists, they didn't even hide their... Uh, minds and their thoughts about uh, Russian uh, policy. And it just imagine it was 2020, not so far along uh, from these days. And uh, they tried to have their influence in city council, in media, in uh, plants, even in businesses. And it was really difficult because they made different barriers to me. And it was some kind of mix, like a corrupted uh, local uh, oligarch groups with Russian influence. And that's why they put against me four technical candidates on elections. And that's why coming back to the first days of the after full-scale invasion so as i remember they occupied uh, the parisian nuclear power plant at the start of the march so it's after 10 days of the full-scale invasion and uh, 
Russians started to call me by phone because um, like a public person, I uh, was a founder of one of the biggest humanitarian center in all region. And I also was a part of territorial defense unit. So just imagine how many roles and responsibilities I had. And of course, Russian understood that they need to stop or neutralize like uh, leaders as the other bank of the river. So I know for sure that they called for a few people in Nikopol and most of them were in the silence. One of them was gone. Uh, he, actually, most of the politicians and my opponents from elections, they're gone. What, they what run away <clears throat> to Europe. When, when did they leave before the full-scale invasion? No, uh, no, like that, no after, 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 after. They after. snuck out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so they, they run away so fast. Oh. I stayed there until July. So until July, we provided thousands of refugees and people with the food, with uh, uh, clothes, with uh, medical uh, suppliers. Our battalion, when I was a part, we provided with the uniforms, uh, CUV, cars, drones, etc. So I, was, I saw that operation. But what what were these? So you were getting these phone calls. So for from, example, from yeah, for for example, this is after the full scale invasion, like the first few days, first weeks, first uh, second week. Okay. Yeah. So firstly, when they occupied uh, the Parisian nuclear power plant. They right started, across the water. Yeah, from, yeah. Yeah. So first group who started to call me, mm. Chechen people, Chechen guys. How could you tell? Their accent? Uh, accent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was accent. They were so rude. They said, oh, we know you. We know all details about you, your relatives. We will cut your head. We will cut your heart. We will kill all your relatives and blah, blah, blah. So it was probably few phone calls. Just un yeah. unidentified numbers calling. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. couldn't, yeah, so yeah. I, I didn't uh, see uh, numbers. Uh -huh. And uh, it, you know, it's uh, it was pity because I couldn't record this, uh, this message, this message. Yeah. yeah, this uh, conversation. And uh, I think we need to find a good application to record this. And when they understood that it's impossible to uh, pressure me uh, start well, what were they asking you to do what are they, what are they no it, it was just uh, attacking informational yeah. attack moral attack to you know to stop me or maybe they thought that I will be you know uh, scared, scared yeah. or afraid or I will run away no no they understood it nah, man I'm from a sport <laughs> so for me it's like you know when somebody started to at attack and to be aggressive you yeah. know I I will give uh, I will pay back uh, in the same <laughs> yeah. uh, so they understood it and after Chechen people started to call me FSB guys so FSB guys they Russian were, security services yes yeah, yes yeah, yeah. so they were more more clever they you know started to negotiate with me and say oh look you're a young politician you're a public leader so uh, every uh, your effort it doesn't matter we will win etc you know for me it was also interesting because um, I also tried to uh, explain them because I heard they were young guys wait, wait, did they identify themselves as FSB or no 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 they were like uh, we uh, special people <laughs> special people you know so what kind of reaction a person can do right. to say them go uh, away or we can say more rude or i try to say them guys i also hear 
I made my own psychological uh, conversation negotiation. I said, said to them, guys, you're also young. You are invaders. You came with your troops to my country. As you see, all people of Ukraine don't support you. So for example, and just imagine you will be killed everywhere from each window from each door so i want to explain you so if you don't stop you will be killed so you have a time to go back step back <laughs> they were shocked for example just imagine they call it to me yeah to stop me and i made it in another way and said actually it was also two phone calls from them and they understood that it's a bad idea. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not possible to. Not to possible. And actually, after yeah. it, I just increased my efforts, and uh, I'm so happy that because of social media, everyone can see. I, I'm proud of it. A lot of people, especially Nikopol, uh, stayed in their home. They helped thousands of people, and it's it was amazing time. Real unity of people. Unity of freedom people, people who want to fight for their liberty and their freedom. Because at that point, I mean, the, well, the Russians very quickly took across the water. They very quickly took cities uh, and places in Kherson region. And when we look at what they were trying to do in Nikopol, probably with similar tactics. They were able to threaten people and bribe people. Uh, and so those places fell and you were protected by that barrier uh, of the river. Yeah, but, but it was also dangerous. We were waiting actually before uh, their shell in Nikopol in July. We were waiting for descent because it's not so um, it wasn't so uh, hard or difficult operation because for example each soldier can say when they start to shell uh, by uh, grad artillery actually i saw uh, so many times when they put the grad artillery between reactors of the parisian nuclear power you plant from your side yeah, I, I saw it by my own eyes so many times because they uh, used uh, the Parisian nuclear power plant like a shell. Because Ukrainians can't attack. You can't attack. The but yeah. uh, such a cynic way, what they do after uh, they are shelling Nikopol from the Parisian nuclear power plant, they they put uh, their artillery maybe one or two kilometers far from uh, power plant and they started to shell near nuclear power plant and blame it the ukraine side just imagine for you need just reckless yeah when i was in nikopol before I've been there several times since, but when I was there, we had this gathering on the riverbank with music and people yeah. were dancing and it was good for the kids and soldiers and volunteers. You, you, you was lucky, really. We were. I mean, yeah. at any moment, something could have happened and it did just a few weeks later. And, uh, and, but that was such a special moment to hold on to. And even I remember, and there was a little bit, there's a little harbor at the, that yacht club, not a yacht club, <laughs> we call it the yacht club, but it was like a beach club. Yeah. And uh, that place is destroyed now. Destroyed uh, now, It's yeah. destroyed. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it's really there, Remember, it's there, terrible, there yeah. were little kids that were, there, some, there was a yeah. protected harbor. There was yeah. there were no mines, it was protected. Yeah. And there were kids say, learning to sail, yeah. uh, even right across the yeah. water from the Russians. And all of that innocence is, is gone and it's destroyed gone. now. And you, I mean, for, so from July, 2022, every, every night really, uh, there were the Russians had been ha, have been shelling uh, Nikopol, and then you were just there about five days ago, and you told me that it's it, now it's a whole it's a new level. And it, one thing it, well, I want to emphasize, like since Ukraine, since September twenty second, when Ukraine hit Russia's Black Sea Fleet head, headquarters uh, for, for forty seven days now, as of this conversation, uh, there have been no major 
Russian missile attacks around Ukraine, like we saw last October, for example. Uh, but instead, Russians have increased sort of terroristic attacks on frontline cities and towns. And one of those places is Nikopol. And can, can you describe what it's like? I mean, you were just there five days ago. At, you know, I remember when I was there, uh, when the air raid alarm would go off, A, you know, the alarms sound different in every region of Ukraine. In Nikopol, it sounds like a nuclear holocaust. It's, it's <laughs> terrifying. And it rings the entire time of the threat because it, it's so urgent and dire. I remember once I was there during a thunderstorm and you hear the sirens and the, it's, it's madness. And that was when it was calm. Now, to, like, as you were walking through your city, delivering humanitarian aid, working with people, getting people what they need. At any moment, Russian artillery can hit anywhere. The, and I remember when you were, I asked you, what, what is that like? You said, well, I just got to move faster. Uh, it's true. What, I mean, what can you put everyone in? What, is, what does it feel like to be in Nikopol? Mm -hmm. The city, ha there's got to be damage everywhere, right? You know, the tragedy, tra tragedy of Nikopol is we can't prepare for shelling or for missiles attack because just 11 seconds when Russians started to uh, shoot and it's impossible. So as usual, alarms start after explosion. So that's why you cannot prepare for this. You can't, uh, you know, achieve shelter in a few seconds. And of course, it's pretty... Uh, another universe living in the frontline cities. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but a lot of people still uh, live there. Really, a lot of them. And uh, if you go there, um, you can see many cars, many people, uh, people People try to survive, to work, to live there, but it's really hard and difficult to understand that in each moment it can be end. And uh, I have another challenge because I have to uh, provide from 500 until 1,000 person per month with the food. And that's why I'm traveling, I do a negotiation with the different uh, partners from business, from uh, politics from different organizations and for example when i come when i come back to my nikopol and uh, we do this humanitarian mission we can't uh, collect and we can't assemble more than 150 people in one place and just imagine we can manage 150 people probably by uh, 25 minutes it's our record 25 minutes we can give and provide food for so, so even though they're all scattered around yes yeah yeah wow so yeah. it's so yeah. fast uh -huh. because we understand that it's it's dangerous mm. you know but uh, we have to do it in this way and when we say uh, to people please go home we have to wait for alarm people don't want to go they say or we came here please give us uh, our food or our water do people still sleep in their cars outside of the city to, to get away from the... No, the no, not now, not now. You, why, because they get used to it? I think most of people decided to uh, to go to uh, closest villages uh -huh. or cities, yeah. but other people decided to live in their apartments. Uh -huh. Most of them became like a fatalist. Uh -huh. So they say, if, if, it, if it's our fate, okay. I want to uh, look at more philosophically for a second. What is this? I mean, you 
you're of the generation of Maidan, you know, when young Ukrainians, but really Ukrainians of all ages said, we don't want to live in the Soviet hell. Uh, we really want to make a clear break uh, from the Russian grip. I want to ask, what is freedom? What does freedom mean to you? But it seems that that goes with the question of corruption. And, and this is, Russian propaganda uses this very well, but uh, when, when people in the West don't want to support Ukraine, they just say that one word, corruption. What is the reality of corruption, and not just in Nikopol, but also in Kiev. I mean, you, uh, you know, you, you you build political alliances. You work with a, you know, you a whole generation of young politicians. Uh, you are working with. Uh, what? How would you define what is the corruption challenge that Ukraine faces, and and what kind of progress is being made on that? It's a very good question. Thank you, because uh, we started to uh, fight against corruption a long time ago, and now we see that. Corruption. What is corruption? Uh, yeah, corruption, like a process, is the best ally for Putin's regime. Corruption in Ukraine, I mean. Uh, Putin's regime and all his, uh, you know, servants understand that if Ukraine will be inside, deep inside of corruption, it will not be, you know, some uh, European or democratic uh, success for our country. So that's why they try to produce it in their way and use these narratives all around the Europe and all around the world. But for me, I also understand that a lot of our authorities. Um, bureaucrats really think that during the war they can earn millions and they went out and uh, went out uh, and uh, to be like a uh, part of battalion monaco <laughs> the, the monte carlo battalion yeah. the, the people that aren't doing anything and, and, it, and yeah. it's so pity yeah. and i understand how we can you know reduce amount of corruption mm. through uh, political education through conscious citizens. We have to explain different people from young generation until elder people that if somebody increase uh, budget uh, wastes for, I don't know, some kind of road or parks or etc., they steal your money, money for development, money for in our time, in the wartime, money for military things like drones, cars, uh, uh, different uh, gadgets for frontline, etc. So it's absolutely simple thing. If someone steal it in one way, he also steal it in generally from society. And uh, I think if we will, uh, if we will have uh, uh, zero level of loyalty to corruption among society it will be a best step to uh, destroy to kill it and this is so this is uh, what you are working on obviously so you're saying there's there still is lots of corruption a lot of corruption well, it's, it's, it's really true but always i try to explain to our western partners that it's really problem we understand it but now we have to survive like a state like a nation because if ukraine fell down who will be next Poland, Baltic countries, and generally also all the Europe. Because, you know, I have an IT company. 
and uh, the first months after full-scale invasion we and actually we still volunteer and we send uh, our specialist IT specialist to the cyber army and we were searching real accounts from Russia not fake uh, not fake accounts and we really saw that most of society most of Russian people they support Putin's regime and they say in public in different social medias so it was thousands of uh, messages they say when we occupy Ukraine we will go to Poland and then to Germany and to France so it's uh, I think it's uh, you know best for understanding what's going on in their mind and uh, Russia like a state like a nation they understand only a language of power so we can stop them just only beating them and that's why we now we need to collect all efforts of course we uh, have to do our home task i mean uh, in fighting we, uh, against corruption so it's uh, it's possible it's really possible well whenever the topic of corruption comes up i, I mean i like to remind people i mean I, I worked as a journalist in New York State. <laughs> there's uh, that's pretty dirty. Uh, there's there's corruption uh, everywhere in the world, and 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 it's even in the United States. There's certain places where it's incredibly nasty, mafia-like, and uh, and uh, probably some Russian oligarchs dancing around there yeah. too. <laughs> uh, they always get their hands in the till. Um, but there was this sense of um, before 2014 that people, not just from Russia but from the Western world, could use Ukraine to plunder because it's such a rich country. Uh, you know, with amazing resources. Uh, but it, it, this, it, as I hear these stories of, you know, like you from the 2014 generation in your city said, we need to clean up the corruption. And people were doing this in other cities around the country. Uh, and, and Russia was losing its grip on Ukraine. They knew that the grip was kind of lost from 2014. They couldn't control your government, uh, but they tried via other means. Uh, and then, and they so because they couldn't control, they said we need to attack, and 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 that seems to be what's happening. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's why I think uh, we have to change our own uh, system inside the country. What I mean uh, in the world of system, uh, I, uh, if we real do fighting against corruption, it will be best signal to our partners abroad. So. Um, Europeans like uh, French, uh, German, um, Italian politician, they also understand that we have, you know, limit, uh, limited time now to fight against Russia. Because now we hear a lot of messages abroad that you have to fight, you have to do uh, your home task, not only at the front line, but also in your, inside the country with your uh, with your law against corruption to be more transparent uh, with your procurement etc and that's why uh, it's a big challenge for all of us but i believe we can do it well, so, and then what how would you on the other side of this how how would you define i mean you know you you describe you know you're you're from the kozak heartland of yeah. ukraine the the Kapoli, the wild fields i was talking with uh some friends recently who said you know the essence of being ukrainian is being kind of is being wild uh, sort of uncontrollable you as someone who i know appreciates and loves america very much that word freedom we use it so often what does freedom mean what does it mean for you I think it's difficult to explain it. It's uh, 
we don't have a frames, you know, we don't have a, if we don't have a censor, we can do, we can criticize our government, we can uh, do whatever we want, you know, but under uh, our law. And um, as less restrictions or frames we have, as more lucky we live. So in, in, in this way, but I want also, you know, to add uh, for our previous uh, question, you know, Russians, they also do pretty good work in, in diplomatic level. I saw it many times. So just imagine they can uh, send different representatives or like a spies with a bag of money and they give it to a different leaders in uh, politics, in media, in civil society, all around the Europe and generally in all around the world. And they ask just only one thing, be neutral. Don't support Ukraine, up, yeah. don't support Russia, be neutral, just be in the silence. And it's, and it's really dangerous because it's, it's, not, it's not so uh, difficult to be neutral, really. Yeah. You can be in the silence and uh, don't, you, you, you will not comment anything, but uh, I always try to, um, you know, uh, to explain. We have to have our own diplomatic Mossad. We also- Mossad. Diplomatic yeah, Mossad. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we have our real Mossad <laughs> from our intelligent uh, services. I hope so. But in diplomatic level, we have to have the same because we have to do counteractions against Russian influence because you know very good they Russians have very good, uh, very powerful uh, influence in France, in Germany, in Austria, in Switzerland. And I saw it many times. And that's why it's difficult to uh, explain and uh, negotiate with their uh, top leaders. Well, I'm sure, and I'm sure I told you in one of our road trips, uh, wartime road trips, uh, even a few years ago, I was living in Philadelphia and Russian operatives came after me. The FBI informed me, uh, but I was invited on some free trip to Moscow, like stay at nice hotels and all that. And, and right, I wasn't sure if I didn't want to go really, but it was a free trip, so why not? And right before uh, FBI, the FBI informed me, uh, this is a secret Russian. Uh, they called themselves a cultural organization in Washington, yeah, yeah. and they were they were they were doing exactly this type of stuff. I I didn't go, thank God. <laughs> uh, I'm glad I'm glad I never uh, I, that I was aware of what was happening before it. But as you go, like so much uh, fairly often during the full scale invasion during the past uh, 20 months or so, you're often in Europe and here meeting with. Uh, politicians and building alliances with, with people who believe in freedom, who see the threat. They see that if Ukraine were to fall, just like the countries that fell in, in, in Eastern Europe uh, and Central Europe and France in the 1930s, it's going to be a catastrophe for the world. So you meet with people that see this. Uh, as you talk with these people, is, is that, do you hear stories about Russian you know, Russians bringing bags of money to, to yes. influence people? Yes, and so many times. In diplomatic level, in political level, and actually in military level. Also, another uh, short story. They also, Russians, they also go to the producers of weapon and maybe middle companies or middle person. They give bag of money and say, please 
postpone delivering these weapons to Ukraine from six until 12 months. So they buy the time. How do you how do you know this? How do you? How do oh, you? I have her connections. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, we would like yeah. to investigate yeah. it because yeah. this is something. I this is. I mean, as you say, if this is happening, these are the they, they know it's hard to track and hard to pin down. Um, and and uh, but th- but this is the most important thing if we can actually get the details and the facts on it uh, because uh, th- it- it's slippery and I I think you know I, even as I like in the past several days there's been very heated rhetoric against Ukraine and America and attention diverted mm-hmm. toward uh, Hamas uh, after Hamas attacked Israel and uh, and the arguments are getting really nasty and then I get I get personal attacks too and sometimes I'm just tired I'm saying you know what am I doing fighting and arguing you know arguing with not fighting but arguing with these people and and I go oh, maybe it's time to go to the beach and relax and that's exactly what they want you know and yeah. that's what they were trying as you yeah. tell these stories from Nikopol that's what they were trying they wanted to wear you out to make you tired so you just not that you went on to their side but but, just, but, but you know we um, we discussed it uh, a lot with you about um, how we can build bridges and making coalitions uh, about topic uh, of Ukraine and I always try to explain especially abroad that we don't ask for charity we ask for global and uh, geo uh, security we can provide this security for you please invest your time your money to the democratic values and we will be your bodyguards if you remember bodyguards <laughs> yeah. of europe mm-hmm. and that's why it's very important you know when i was invited to different uh, organization in political education in Europe, like a Konrad Adenauer Stiftung, uh, Robert Schumann Institute, actually after it also pro-Russian uh, agents and pro-Russian politicians blaming me that I'm uh, I um, European uh, agent, but it's it's other funny stories. They see everything and everywhere, you know, agents, because they are country of agents. It's They have heritage of, uh, you know, Soviet Union, KGB style. Uh-huh. So that's why everyone in their mind like an agent yeah but it doesn't matter you know I was I was impressed and it was very interesting for me understand why European countries and different organizations spend money of taxpayers uh, to you know teaching different political leaders from Ukraine and from east of Europe east of Europe with uh, values and some democratic uh, and modern things I always uh, asked them why why did you do it because it's it cost money and they explained me that for us for strategy of our countries it's a general mo- mo- most of European countries they explained uh, more efficient spend money and invest now to you or if you or if we lose you like a person like a future decision makers Russia will cover you and you will be under their uh, influence and their impact it's very smart so that's why in this parallel we can say if you like United States uh, Europe and other countries uh, if you invest now to Ukraine you will invest to global security 
because world love strongest. And now Ukraine shows that we are strong, but we really need the help. And uh, I always be, you know, uh, I will always appreciate all kind of help and support which uh, United States, Great Britain, France, Germany gave to Ukraine. It's very important, but we ask more, you know, to survive because it's, uh, we see that it's long term war becomes now. Well, as you described it, I think of when I was in university in the States, and uh, there are all these sort of freedom, freedom-loving organizations in America, uh, the Heritage Foundation, Intercollegiate Studies Institute, Fund for American Studies. And I came from a, like a you know, conservative, pro-freedom, that's, you know, this is our uh, shtick or our ideology. And I believe this stuff. I believed in our, I believe in our constitution as a wonderful document. And, uh, and I came from that world. And I got away from a lot of that, but uh, I was sort of trained by by these institutes. Uh, they were well funded, and and they would bring uh, every year. For example, uh, for several years, I would have a free trip to Prague uh, in the Czech Republic uh, with other young Americans, and we would learn from the people who had suffered under communism. Uh, we would learn from uh, the people who led the Velvet Revolution, uh, friends of Václav Havel, and it was an amazing opportunity to have these mentors who had, you know. We only knew freedom in America, right? Uh, and and to, to learn from people that had suffered under tyranny, under Moscow-driven tyranny. And all these, so it was thanks to those groups, that, and in many ways that I'm prepared to be here in this time, I knew that this is something that we have to fight. Uh, I was trained for that, but it's so strange right now. Those same institutions in America that sent me to Prague, for example, to meet the, the people who had fought communists are uh, either against Ukraine or quiet about Ukraine, and they don't see that this is the same story, the same connection mm -hmm. against the same type of tyrannical Moscow. And so this is a, a problem we have. We have somehow we got to break through the barriers and show show uh, America. I, I think Europeans can see it because they're so close to the threat, you know, uh, on the same continent. But Americans who, you know, they to this day they still talk about how oh communism is bad and evil, but the same type of communist tyranny is once again threatening the world and Ukrainians are willing to fight for it. And at the very least, there should be some respect, I think, from Americans, uh, uh, you know, but before even sending weapons, at least some respect. And I don't, from the right wing Americans, I don't like these terms right and left, but it's a fact. It's like sort of Americans who talk about freedom, uh, many of them do support Ukraine. And that's important. But... Like many of the Republicans in Congress are, uh, you know, they're 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 absent, you know, uh, from this. And what, who? I mean, you, you've been meeting with lots of European politicians, and uh, as we close here, like, who who are some of the people you really want to to reach, uh, you know, to, to invite them to Ukraine uh, to see the reality? You mean from United States? Yeah, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, yeah, from United States. You yeah. know, I saw so many times when some famous person mm. uh, visited. Ukraine and how it was, you know, uh, you, uh, it, 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 it was so useful uh, because when some um, celebrity comes and show to the world, to their followers, that this is a war, this is a real people, this is a real stories. The one country attacked another one in the 21st century, and of course it works. So for example, when uh, Angelina Jolie 
came to Ukraine, it was fantastic. I, re I remember all media showed and again, Ukrainian people were so happy. Of course, you know, I'm like a generation uh, who was uh, grown in late 90s. <laughs> I remember, of course, you know, uh, heroes from uh, Hollywood movies, especially with the martial arts. And uh, actually, I remember your great story about <laughs> Chuck Norris. <laughs> and I think we can invite uh, him uh, to Ukraine with you together. And I think it will be very good. We can provide everything, all roadmap, different meetings with uh, volunteers, with uh, soldiers. And uh, if he or other interesting, like uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, you he know, was here, I think. He, yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. but it was uh, such a short only uh, trip the border, yeah. only the border. Well, yeah. so as you say this, I think, and first <laughs> you mentioned the idea and I was laughing it off. Yeah. But when I think about it, uh, you know, I, in the past weeks I've been speaking with some high-level influential Americans who I know about why they don't support Ukraine. And they care about me and they check in, but they, they're not in favor of Ukraine. And, 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 and so I said, why? What, you know, and a lot of them, you know, they say, oh, we hear about corruption. They don't hear about the freedom story. They don't hear about the corruption fighting. They just hear the, 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 the negative side, which is what Russians uh, want. Um, and then they say they don't have a trust of the American government. Uh, 20 years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so we say, well, this, this is different. This is, you know, this is yeah. already a democracy, a free society, especially since 2014. And then the other thing that I hear, uh, and this shows you how sort of burned out Americans are. Uh, they say when they see celebrities, like Ange especially like Angelina Jolie, that makes them say, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't trust any of that elite Hollywood, Washington, uh, New York establishment. Your average American does not trust that. And, and so they, they think these celebrities are opportunist uh, at, at best. At worst, they have crazy theories and things. But the point is, is that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't help. And if, for example, take someone like um, Sean Penn. Actually, I have, I had his bulletproof vest. So he, he was here in Ukraine uh, the day uh, of the, the full-scale invasion and had to leave quickly. And uh, so I was custodian of his vest. I didn't, I did not get to meet him. Um, Sean Penn has developed a great relationship with President Zelensky. He even gave him one of his Oscars. And you know, Sean Penn for years before this. He was running around to all different causes. He was uh, in Venezuela supporting the dictator, you know, and 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 he was. I, so Americans who love freedom don't trust this guy, and so then they see him working with Ukraine and they say, oh, so if Sean Penn's in favor of Ukraine, he's also the guy in favor of you know Cuban dictatorship, Venezuelan dictatorship, probably against Israel. Like they, it doesn't make sense to them. And as I look at in the case of Sean Penn, for example. I, I listened to his interviews. He sounds different than when he's talking about meeting with Hugo Chavez, you know, years ago in Venezuela. I mean, he didn't give his Oscars to other people. He gave it to President Zelensky. And I look at the case of Sean Penn. I think he was looking for a cause, looking for meaning. Mm -hmm. As I see with so many volunteers who come here, including Afghanistan veterans, war veterans, looking for meaning. And he found it. He, he said, oh, this is actually a legitimate good cause. Like, this is actual people with dignity standing for freedom. Uh, he had this transformation. Uh... But your average American, you know, who's struggling to get by and the challenges of life in America, they see these celebrities and they say, nope, that, that for me tells me this is not something I'm going to support. And that's why I think I will now say I agree with you, Mike. Uh, very rare. You know, I'll say uh, the idea of inviting someone like Chuck Norris 
Because if you invite the Jordan Petersons, the Elon Musk, you know, Chuck Norris's, uh, they are kind of currently, you know, leaders of the side of people who are skeptical of Ukraine. I, I can add that uh, you are talking about different types of persons. So some of people neutral, so they don't comment, uh, you know, about the war. Some people against uh, us, like Ukraine, somebody supports uh, Russia. Like, you know, I, I was shocked when Steven Seagal yeah. was supported Russia. And uh, it's it's terrible. But uh, what uh, does uh, Elon Musk now? I think we also have to invite him and trying to explain him. Maybe he's, you know, like at his, uh, you know, some moral or um, some kind of jail, psychological jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I also understand when some, you know, star Hollywood star come to Ukraine, he or she inspires millions of Ukrainians here inside the country. Yeah. And, and I think it's also very important. I also understand what you are talking about that, you know, Americans will have some doubts or they are, you know, is it true or not? Do they support originally or they try to play their new role? But uh, again, it's very important. You need As, both of these. Yeah, uh, we need uh, every kind of people who mm. will come to Ukraine and will say in public to the world, it's very important. And I also, you know, do it to the chance I want to invite, you know, I'm a fan also, uh, Sylvester Stallone. He's a great, and, uh, you know, I was uh, growing by his movie, like Rocky. It's about character. It's about, you know, surviving, fighting. And it's, uh, I heard these words from so many sportsmen and then from soldiers. So if you have a face, if you understand that you fight for, freedom for some values you will be uh, you know undisputed and un un unbeaten and it's very important to attract as as much attention world attention as possible because one of the main question which uh, i ask all around the europe and the world how to keep informational topic about ukraine yeah. as long as possible because now we can see a lot of societies, a lot of uh, countries tired to hear about Ukraine. They generally tired to hear about the war. And we have to understand, we don't have to, you know, complain, we don't have to, you know, criticize them, because uh, it's our pain. And, you know, um, when I, in, in my native Nikopol, under uh, missiles and under shelling, it's uh, one thing, but even here in Kyiv, it's absolutely different world. Yes, of course, there are also uh, rockets uh, above our heads, uh, but thanks to our air defense system, thanks for uh, all, you know, person and all people who try to do and try to do uh, a lot of efforts for our common victory, uh, all of them heroes. And that's why we need to ask people. We have to appreciate all, all kind of help and support and uh, well, I to fight. Let's, I like this idea. Let's yeah. invite uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Jordan Peterson, Elon Musk, Chuck Norris, yes. Joe Rogan. Yes. And, and as you mentioned this idea, and for example, uh, when I was uh, visiting you in Nikopol and I met a lot of your friends who are soldiers, uh, you, know, you see they have families, they have strong faith, 
They believe in freedom. These very things that Americans love. Uh, and, and you see, like, I, Ukraine is the best self-help book. If you want to learn how to be excellent in the most difficult circumstances, look to Ukraine. You know, Joe Rogan takes the ice bath every morning. Come here, you take a missile bath. You, but, but this is, a, this is the capital of, of, of strong character. And, and I think, you know, everything that Jordan Peterson says in his philosophy, his 12 rules for life, Ukrainians live those rules better than anyone. Uh, even down to, like, his last rule is always pet a cat. How many videos do we have of soldiers taking care of animals under fire, you know? And, and, and so you really, this whole part of the story is being missed. And so I, you're right. We need to invite these people. We need to and, invite, And maybe yeah. we start, and I'll say briefly with Chuck, because Mr. Norris <laughs> will invite you to Ukraine, but uh, uh, I, uh, I was at his house for a weekend uh, when I was working at Fox News, working for the chairman of Fox. And... Uh, Mr. Norris, thank you for the hospitality. It, it is, uh, I have shared this story. Uh, uh, I know that, you know, you don't, there's no street named after Chuck Norris because if you cross Chuck Norris, you don't survive. Um, but I spent a weekend at his house, as I told you, Mike, and I don't know if it's some kind of training camp, but he doesn't feed his guests. And uh, so I had to sneak into his kitchen in the morning to get some food. And uh, there's much more to that story, but uh, we can make amends for this. Uh, Mr. I th- Norris. I, I, th- I think, so, sorry, I, I think you can finish this story just only after when Chuck Norris come into Ukraine. Exactly. Don't finish it. It's, yeah, it, we can get Chuck Norris on the yeah. podcast of Land of the Free, and we will t- tell the story of how uh, I starved at Chuck Norris's house and I stole food from his kitchen. Uh, but uh, but but really, in a, in a serious way, uh, this is the place of uh, I mean of human excellence and great character right now. Not and it's not just Ukrainians, but all the foreigners who've come here yeah. uh, to help. And yeah. so, all right, Mike. So send your invitation to Sylvester Stallone, Chuck Norris, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, from yeah, Michael Poporechnik, yeah. from Mike Poporechnik, yeah, from Nikopol City, and generally from Ukraine, and uh, I encourage everyone who knows. Uh, famous people or you want to come to Ukraine please come visit if you need any kind of help support here inside the country you can count on me or to Joe Linsley I, it's very important and uh, I'm sure everyone who uh, goes out from Ukraine after visiting Ukraine becomes our ambassador because uh, you will see by your own eyes you you will feel all kind of you know emotions here how it's possible to fight against evil and now we are real wall between civilization and uh, russian uh, evil uh, and russian uh, bear <clears throat> well mike thank my you friend Thanks. i look forward to our next uh, road time road trip and uh, this has been our Land of the Free podcast with the great team of Ukrainska Pravda, Ukrainian Truth, here in Kiev, Michael Poporechnik, entrepreneur, former kickboxing champion of Europe, diplomat, strategic diplomat, and humanitarian uh, worker for victory uh, here in Ukraine. You can follow our project at ukrainianfreedomnews.com, and uh, we'll have information as well in the description about Mike's projects, how you can help him out. Dopobachina from Kiev. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. We fight, uh, we stand, and uh, all for the win. Slava Ukraini. Heroim Slava.